0: <laughs> um, and <laughs> <There>. <laughs>
1: Seeing Red the Pod episode 73 where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm April and with me today is Julia, one of our Seeing Red friends and a frequent pod host. Hi, hey, Julia. <laughs> How
0: are you doing? I'm well. I'm glad you could come on tonight. Thank you for the invitation. Always fun to be on the pod.
1: <laughs> You've been on a few times. I'm sure our listeners will remember. But um, well, Julia recently wrote an article for Seeing Red um, about a tax cut bill being floated in the legislature, LB-939. And it also kind of segues really nicely with, not segues, dovetails really nicely with a book I'm reading about how the billionaires devoured the world. And so we thought we'd come on and just talk about tax cuts money for the rich (laughs) and you know conversely how other people like can't pay their rent
0: (laughs) right in general how how the rich and the government are colluding to just kind of suck money out of everybody else so that we're ending up with one of the most unequal societies that we have ever seen
1: the world has ever seen maybe i don't know (laughs) um so why don't you start telling us a little bit about lb 939
0: yeah so this this was a bill that was introduced by senator linehan and uh it's uh eventually it was uh, two separate bills 939 and 38 and they i guess got combined to kind of one massive bill and basically they are uh Taking the fact that the Nebraska state government is finally doing okay, we're in the green here um, and using that to say, Hey, well we should take this money and make it into a five-year tax cut um, for individuals and for corporations. That that's the best possible thing that we could do with this money. And um, this is problematic both because that money is coming from the federal government for the most part um we're getting all kinds of federal assistance um for covid relief the cares act you know for infrastructure um and so the feds have been sending a lot of money down to the states recently to try to support people during the pandemic and um that's what is you know, largely behind the the fact that our government is doing well financially. And that money is going to dry up. Like that, that's temporary money. Um, it's not something organically coming from our state budget. And so when that goes, if we have these tax cuts on the books, then we're going to uh, suddenly face big shortfalls down the line. And we'll have to kind of take that out of our own hide. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that in, in a moment. But the, The way that the two bills work is basically to take uh, everybody making over $29,000 a year uh, and uh, to give them the same kind of income tax cut over the next five years. It kind of goes down a little bit every year. And that sounds great for everyone. You know, if you're making $27,000 a year, I'm sure you're delighted, right, that, you know, you're going to get a little bit more back or you're going to have to pay a little less in, in state income taxes. Um, so on the face of it, it always seems like, hey, this is an easy sell, you know, and the GOP does this all the time um, in saying like, yeah, this is a great move. Who doesn't like a tax cut, right? You know, who doesn't want to pay less in taxes or have a little bit more when that refund check comes back? And so it seems like a great thing, except, you know, the, the problem with the, the fact that the money is going to disappear and then we'll be stuck with cuts, but also because it, it shows something about the way that we use our money, that kind of flat cut where everybody gets the same rate,
1: mm-hmm. you know, so
0: somebody making $30,000 a year gets the same percentage of tax cut as somebody making you know, like $30 million a year. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're making $30,000 a year and your tax rate goes down by a percentage, then, you know, you get, you know, let's say $300 back or something like that. But, you know, if you're making the 30 million, you're going to get $3 million back. And so, you know, you might say like, well, you know, it's a percentage, that's fair. But then that money is money that we would have had as a community. It's money that we all put Mm -hmm. in you know, like, taxes aren't an individual thing. Like, there's a reason that we pay taxes. And that's and that's because we as a society say, you know, there's certain things that we just can't do as individuals, you know, that it makes more sense for us to pool our money and to use that money to invest in things that improve the community overall. And we all know what some of those things are, like, paying you know, having a, a city fire service, for example, um, mm-hmm. is one of the things that like our city taxes support so that, you know, previously fires uh, used to be put out by individual firemen, like rich people could hire fire teams that would come and put out the fire in their house if it burned but of course if it burned down the tenement next door then you know oh well like you know like the the firemen would just stand there and let it burn because they weren't paid to protect that house um and you know at some point we were like you know actually it it benefits the whole city if we don't you know have random houses burning all over the place um (laughs) and So, you know, we decided that this was just one of these protections that we would provide people by virtue of being a a citizen in our community, and, you know, schools are famously one of those things, that we value the education of our children and that we need to provide them spaces in which to learn, people to teach them, you know, all of the basics that, that go into schooling our state's children. Um, I always think of this every winter except this one which is <laughs> snow plowing which this has been such a crazy non-snow winter um, but usually there's some moment where my neighborhood like barely gets plowed um, and I'm always thinking why because you know like I needed to buy my own snow plow and like plow my my part of the 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 Mm -hmm. road out in front of my house or something like it just doesn't make any sense you know like we can all shovel our sidewalks or something but the idea that we would all like individually buy our own little plows to like scrape off our part of the street is kind of nuts right it makes sense that we pool the resources and have you know a few big trucks that do this so there's a ton of these things so we could just go on and on right like there are things that it makes sense for us as a community to pool our resources and do together. And that is what taxes do. (laughs) And so, you know, like the fact that we would suddenly, if we gave this tax cut, have three million three hundred dollars fewer tax kind of dollars to work with, you know, like that, what that translates into is taking money that would have, paid for city salaries for teachers for snowplows for salt in the roads for street cleaning for tree trimming road repair yeah road bridges yep bridges
1: water infrastructure
0: (laughs) all yeah all that infrastructure stuff right you know like and any number of things you know and I'm I'm a city resident right so I keep naming things that the city does um but you know like a lot of these things go statewide and, and so you know and these would be statewide tax cuts and you notice that like yeah okay like the person who made 30,000 gets a little bit of money back and so we lose a little bit of their contribution but we use a huge amount when we give that tax cut to somebody who made a huge amount of money that's a big mm-hmm. hit to our collective well- pool and it's not just people.
1: Like this tax cut would be huge for corporations and
0: non-residents. Yeah. So they actually, it's that was nine thirty-eight that got kind of wrapped into the same mm-hmm. bill, is that they would also offer the same cut to corporations and, um, you know, or a, a similarly a, a cut on their corporate taxes. And of course, when corporations get tax cuts, <laughs> like what do they do? And the argument that you yeah. hear coming out in the media is like, well, this is these are our job creators. Then they they stay in the state and they hire more people, and these are good paying jobs, and you know the company will be healthier, and therefore somehow you know like the people of the state will be better off. But I'm always like, okay, like so. These tax cuts have been happening like rampantly for the last 20 or 30 years. Like, mm-hmm. has anyone noticed like, oh, yeah, you know, a tax cut went through and my boss said, hey, our company is doing better. And so we've decided to raise the wages of all of the employees here or give you better health care. No, I mean, what they do is it becomes a bonus for stock holders. You know, like that's that is what corporations are designed to do is kind of filter money to the people that own their stock. And so then most of those people where it was something like the percentage on this April, it was 84% or something of the people who would then like who own stock in the corporations that would benefit from this Nebraska tax cut don't live in Nebraska. I don't remember the percentage but I think actually that was the numbers the the amount was 84 million like oh. and so there's so it was like 94 or something or it was 90 something total million dollars <laughs> that would result you know would be taken from our budget to give to you know back to corporations um mm-hmm. and You know, if they send it all to their stockholders, which is generally what corporations do, then Mm -hmm. 84 million of that will leave the state. So it's like
1: (laughs) taking all that money away
0: from our community and sending it to rich people in other states. Like (laughs)
1: Yes. And so that ties into the book I'm reading. The book I'm reading, and I'll put it on um, Bookshop, is called... Uh, i think it's pronounced davos man i don't know it's a city in sweden so i don't know (laughs) davos man how the billionaires (laughs) devoured the world by peter goodman and um he calls like this underlying widespread but inaccurate model that you're kind of talking about called the he calls it the cosmic lie like the great cosmic lie that you cut corporations' taxes and wealthy people's taxes, and then those corporations are going to invest and hire, and that the wealthy are going to spend it, and they'll spend it at the restaurant and the waitress and the car dealership and the dry cleaners. But that's not what happens. First of all, these rich people can only spend so many money, no much, right. so many dollars. You're a person, you're a family, you can't spend all of it. And then there's only so many the corporations
0: one can use at a time yeah,
1: although Jeff <laughs> Bezos seems to be really trying um set some world records here um but what really happens instead you know you're told oh we'll cut corporations like Nebraska well we want corporations to come and we want them to spend more on our on their you know company and buy stuff but that's not what they do like this we have evidence from <laughs> when they've tried it and tried it and tried it and tried it, it over the last 40 years but instead they um they buy back stock so they can be back in control and then they um give out trillions of dollars in dividends and they don't it just doesn't work it and we know it you know but it's almost like no one has the imagination even to pretend that it could be different
0: you know and i think you know someone who knows kind of business history better than I do would have to Mm -hmm. comment on this. But I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, like there may have been a moment when there was a different kind of management and corporate philosophy in which money that was earned by the corporation was often plowed back into employee... Uh, like experience, salaries, benefits, buying more material for the company. You know, so the companies. you know, know, back when people, you know, might work for a single company their entire life and have a pension and have benefits, you know, but, that it has been if if there was such a mythical time, like that that is long past, right? You know, like the the management philosophy of a corporation, certainly since the late eighties and probably before that, has simply been that the biggest expense is labor costs. And so mm-hmm. anything you can do to drive down labor is mm-hmm. you know the like that—that that is the the driving kind of principle behind business management. It's why you know all of the factories got off, you know, offshore to other places. You know, they got sent mm-hmm. first to Mexico after NAFTA and uh, and CAFTA and all of the other AFTAs in which you know, like jobs get sent to places where labor costs are lower. You know, and initially they used to keep, uh, you know, factories. Uh, domestically and just work to hire kind of people that they could justify paying less to like women, right. Who still make, you know, what, like 84 cents on the dollar um, or, you know, anybody else, you know, originally children um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, before child labor laws. And so, you know, that was avoid those over by going overseas now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, like both of those things still prevail overseas. um, But, you know, that that's part of what caused the kind of deindustrialization of the United States is this move to um, lower labor costs by shipping as much as possible overseas. And now, you know, they even like subcontract. So those aren't American corporate factories over there. They're subcontracted to subcontracted to subcontracted. Yep. So they're not kind of You know, so the fact that people are committing suicide making iPhones is not Apple's responsibility ethically or morally or, you know, Nike's or, you know, in Mm -hmm. other famous cases, Um, you know, and (laughs) singling them out is famous, but this is widespread, right? And so it's those labor costs. So the idea that somehow, you know, like... The prevailing winds are going to change so dramatically that if we here in Nebraska lower the corporate tax rate by a few percentages, that suddenly the people who own those corporations are going to be like, you know, instead of cutting labor costs and sending bigger stock dividends, you know, or buying, as you said, like buying back our stock to gain, you know, regain control, of complete control of the company, mm-hmm. then, you know, let's, let's give it to actual Nebraska workers. Like, that's just, that's it's just not going to happen. No, like, is,
1: there's no, that is indeed the big lie. <laughs> there's no morality in capitalism. That's not how it works. Like there has to be no, some guardrails.
0: And and this actually like gets to the point about, you know, like the philosophy behind the relationship um, between government and capitalism, that's different in the U.S. than some place, you know, like like Switzerland or Sweden or whatever. You know, like they may host Davos, but um, it, you know, on the whole, European socialist democracies post World War II decided that, you know, for a whole variety of complicated historical reasons, that you know they were going to mitigate the worth kind of inequalities that capitalism naturally causes, you know, like capitalism, like works to filter money upward from poor people to rich people. And it causes great inequalities and, you know, it causes environmental damage. And, you know, like that is just like the way the system works. And so the question then is, you know, what do you do with government vis-a-vis this economic system if if you have it, Um, then do you use government to try to buffer that? You know, to like say, well, there's got to be some limits to the environmental damage that you do. There's got to be some limits to the exploitation of workers. There's got to be, you know, like some way in which all of the money that you are making kind of gets invested back in our society um, so that we have a more equal society and a happier society overall so that this is a decent place to live. Or you can just say, ah, screw it, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) like let capitalism do what it wants to do. And that's, you know, that is, that is the natural way of things. And, you know, the government isn't going to interfere and the U S has generally done more of that. Um, And recently, you know, both parties have decided both Republicans and Democrats that they're not only going to do that, they're like going to accelerate, accelerate the process of inequality um, with bills like these tax cuts because, You know, that CARES Act, um, weren't you saying April also came with some big tax cut attached to it? Yeah. So I want to back up a little
1: bit. I want to talk a little bit. I like to have specific numbers and stuff because sometimes that's what just sinks in for me. And so I wonder if maybe it helps listeners too. But before the CARES Act, we had the Trump tax cuts, right? Based on that cosmic lie. And, um, The other part about the lie, though, that I want to address is, like, not only will it trickle down, but, like, um, our problems, the fact that, you know, people aren't trained for the right jobs and the environment and um, that people are hungry and stuff, it's not that it's, um, we're, we just don't have enough money, right? And that's not the truth the truth is we're giving it all back to the rich people to the top one percent all of it is just going back to them to do what what do they what can they even do with it right so the trump tax cuts um after two years corporate investment was actually lower than it was before the tax cuts so (laughs) didn't meet that metric um that instead of buying, you know, equipment and hiring more people, um, businesses purchased a, this is a quote, a record $1 trillion worth of their own shares, a trillion in one year, in 2018. And they paid out $1.3 trillion in dividends that year. Meanwhile, because this is what we need to compare it to, what's happening to the rich versus what's happening to the rest of us? Um, Wages in 2018 rose less than 3%, even though unemployment dropped. And the budget deficit, thanks to these tax cuts, widened by one third. Even though literally Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin was standing up there saying these tax cuts are going to pay for themselves. That was his actual quote. But, you know, it widened the deficit by a third, (laughs) Um, And so the deficit climbs, everyone decides, oh, we got to cut budgets. And then it's always, that's the only way you can cut budgets is to take away things people need. You're going to have to raise revenue by keeping the taxes and raising the taxes back up, right? Um, And this trickles down even to all of the things we needed in place for COVID. We knew all yep. the brainiacs knew I'm a nobody. And I'd already heard to the degree of like, you know, some big things, some big virus will come down one day and we're all going to be screwed. Right. And we were, but because of that sort of thing, it, it affected hospitals to, you know, ho- are being bought up by little companies and staffed by like doctors, staffing agencies, basically, if I'm putting it in like basic terms. And so then They're not actually the management of the hospital, but also they want to be really, really lean. So then they don't and they don't keep things on hand. And even um, everything was everything in manufacturing. But when it comes to a pandemic, you know, hospital stuff was really important, was just, you know, made on an at order as needed status because you wouldn't want to have your money tied up in actual things you might need that you're going to need, but you might need them for two years from now instead of right now. And so they didn't yeah. have tests, and they didn't have masks, and they didn't have gloves, and they didn't have gowns. We
0: know all of this because it just happened. That is just-in-time uh, capitalism that somehow yes. just failed when just fail. when, we, when it failed to be here on time, somehow, mm-hmm. miraculously. Because... And then know,
1: Sorry. And tied oh. in with that even the hospital's And He talks about specific examples in this book, but again, I think we all have examples or know of them, Um, elective surgeries and things that weren't shut down immediately with COVID as they should have been, not because elective is always elective, but because elective surgeries are where they make money. Right. They, because they are corporations that are owning it and it's not, and how are we going to keep the hospital open if we're not doing elective surgeries? And sure enough, when they did close them down, then they started laying people off left and right in the
0: middle of a pandemic. Yeah, well, this, of course, you know, ties into the whole idea that there are, we're kind of selling off the commons, right? You know, this mm-hmm. is something that has also, you know, been part of late stage or neoliberal capitalism right is that everything that used to be considered to be a common good in our society that you know like education or medical care or like and and arguably you know like medical care was already you know like very for profit in the U.S. unlike in other industrialized countries but you know just the idea that you know there should be well staffed hospitals ready to go that we should have kind of Um, functioning school systems with reasonably paid teachers and you know, things, institutions that we ought to have a health department that could handle things, that we ought to have, you know, like human services, that we ought to be able to feed our population, right? That We ought to be able to house our population. Like those, you know, things that we tend to think of as Things that everybody should have for mm-hmm. a, a decent society that are markers of civilization, um, you know, are things that we we used to ensure through investing in public things, public parks, public hospitals, mm-hmm. public schools, um, and then that became this kind of you know went through this smear campaign as like a dirty word somehow. Um, And we started eliminating public transportation and saying, wouldn't schools be better if they were privatized as charter schools? We're still working on that one, right? You know, wouldn't it be Mm -hmm. better if... Social security was privatized. Wouldn't that work better? You know, like all of the the things that you know we used to hold in common to make a decent society have now kind of been up for sale, um, and they are getting sold off. And the and then they're managed for profit. And so when there's a big disaster like the pandemic that you can't solve individually and the corporations have no incentive to solve because mm-hmm. you know, like it cuts into their profits then suddenly like the public sector, it's so anemic, you know, like it's so weak mm-hmm. that it just can't do anything to, to help, yeah. um, you know, like, and the people who are still there just get, you know, overworked and destroyed, right. You know, and start dropping out and quitting at, at overwhelming rates for understandable reasons, But that's been a long term like strategy of disinvestment in things that Uh we do together as a society. And the tax cuts are just in a you know, they're they're both the the way the way that that functions that's how we suck money out of the commons um, or one of the ways and it also is a symptom of that that we can no longer imagine ourselves as a community that might want to kind of collectively pool our resources to to insist that we as a community need certain things in order to provide people with the good life as you know the the state slogan goes we've
1: we've lost that collective memory of what that might used to be like and what that would have been like like I think my grandparents generation was the probably the last generation that even came close to that in this country I'm not gonna lie I'm pretty mad at my grandmother for voting for all these jerks who <laughs> taken it away from me and my parents generation I'm really mad um You know, I want to bring up one more thing because it ties into stuff we talked about in Seeing Red. And in Nebraska, you brought up the health department, public health departments, right? What happened when the pandemic hit and Nebraska got, you know, needed to spend money and needed to get testing? Did they go to the public health departments that are already established and already exist and already have people? No. Ricketts hired out-of-state tech bros to do it. As a parallel system, didn't need to exist. Let them make a bunch of freaking money, and then they left, right? They and when COVID, <laughs> and then when COVID died down, they were gone. And when it kind of started to come back, just a little, like in the in the in the summer, you know, like with the Delta. Well, then they came back on their own because their state contract was up, And now they had all this money and infrastructure to do it again. So then they started that Nomi Health, and then. But when we actually got into, I don't know how else to say this again, (laughs) into the shark infested waters again of COVID, you know, January and Omicron, Nomi couldn't even keep up. And so we had to go back to the health department, only this time, like local, local health departments were getting money from local municipalities and lo and behold people got their local health department the ones they had contracted with and the ones they were supporting they were getting their test results in like two hours and were able to make decisions and were able to isolate it from their families and stuff meanwhile like a week before I had no options except Nomi Health and I refused to go there <laughs> but it doesn't matter we had no other options, and It took me three days to get test results. So I didn't even bother isolating, right? Anyway, the whole point is the public good is is good. Yeah,
0: (laughs) you know, we took a bunch of tax money, whether it was coming, you know, like from the federal government or coming from our, you know, our state. And, you know, we gave it to a private corporation that passed most of that money clearly (laughs) on to other people because they didn't do a very good job. With the task mm-hmm. that they were given, and yeah, once the minute the contract was up, which, as far as I'm aware, they didn't actually even fulfill, um, then you know they came back and said, "Well, now that we have all this infrastructure that we used your tax money to create, mm-hmm. now we're going to charge you, and we're going to do a worse job." But you know, we know <gasps> you don't have any alternatives, um, yep. so that's you know, that is a, a great local example of how that ends up working. And now I you know, know, like
1: the health department here in Lincoln, did contract with another place. But at this point, I think they knew what to look for.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, I wanted to pick up on a comment you made about being, like, angry at your grandparents for, like, voting for all of this. Mm -hmm. I am! (laughs) It is worth noting that at least since the 80s, there haven't really been any economic alternatives for voting. Like... There Stop absolving my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure she was voting before that, so you can play her. For she that. could have at least <laughs> the lesser of two evils. But she didn't. She doesn't. She still, you no. Know, there are big differences between the party on social issues. Um, and, you know, both parties have a. Uh, an investment in highlighting and really hammering and ginning up those, you know, the outrage over those, those differences mm-hmm. in, in social policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they pretty much do the same thing in terms of economics. Like, you know, you talked about the Trump's ta- tax cuts, but we could talk about the Obama tax cuts and we could talk mm-hmm. about the Clinton tax cuts, you know, as well as the Bush tax cuts and the Bush one tax cuts and the Reagan mm-hmm. tax cuts. Like, you know, like this isn't, they're, there are real differences between the two parties that exist in the U.S. on social issues. There are not real differences anymore um, in terms of the economic policy. Really, um, mm-hmm. they're both kind of very much invested in the the like uh, losing the commons, tax cuts. You know, no longer yeah. seeking to use government as a buffer for the you know ravages of capitalism. That instead, you know, they are simply just kind of collaborating in the filtering of public money into the hands of the wealthy, who then turn around and fund campaigns on both sides. And yes. often, the wealthy do fund, you know, like campaigns on both sides of the aisle, and that's not a mistake. So, you know, corporations. Well, and how much have
1: we? T- how much have we on this pod talked about getting money out of politics?
0: Yeah, but. You know, and it's it's fair to say that there are some people who are trying, right? You know, there are individual mm -hmm. politicians who really make an effort here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can call out on, like, the local bill that we're talking about. You know, both um, uh, Hunt and Kavanaugh, I've noticed, have tried now that, Mm -hmm. you know, 939 is on the floor to try to delay or to alter it um, in ways that would mitigate this a little bit or delay it. Um, but you know as a party like you you don't actually see the Democrats doing a lot to, to uh, solve this stop this you know much less uh, roll it back I mean the only thing that roll has, effectively rolled back what's been a real drop in wages over the last 40 years now, um as you're noting April, ties back to one of your previous podcasts, and that's unions, you know, like mm-hmm. because they work directly for the workers of whom they are made up, you know. And mm-hmm. so and they're often negotiating not just for like well paid jobs or better health care for the people, you know, who are members of the union, but like um for those things that we took for granted as being part of the commons, like I was, I, I was, uh, I heard recently about a strike that took place in Berlin, um, where they managed to organize all of the workers at the hospitals in in every hospital in Berlin and the two, or rather, the two largest hospital chains in Berlin. So it was like something like fifteen hospitals that mm-hmm. all went out on strike, um, mm-hmm. and yet, like the things that they struck for. And, and by everyone, I mean everyone from, you know, like emergency room ICU n- nurses down to, you know, like janitors, cafeteria workers, like the people that keep the hospitals running, all of them. Um, and the things that they were negotiating for were not just like decent salaries, um, but they were negotiating for like certain numbers of patients per nurse right? Certain mm-hmm. like working hours so that they won't make mistakes,
1: mm-hmm. that they will
0: be alert enough to be able to give quality medical care that, that, you know, like nurses talked about like having such high patient rates that if they couldn't possibly like attend to the needs of all the patients and they were making mm-hmm. like essentially what were triage decisions, you know, people were dying and suffering because the staffing wasn't adequate. And that was a matter of a decision by the hospital management. so the union came in and was just like, no, you know, one of the things we're negotiating for, we don't want the psychological burden of feeling like we're allowing people to suffer and die because you won't staff properly here. Um, you know, you must hire more people to do the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, arguably that's, <laughs> that is a benefit to the whole community, you know, and that's an obvious one. If I go to a, end up in a hospital, like, I want to be cared for by a nurse who has enough time to actually look after me and the other people that she's assigned. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want that nurse um, to have not like stayed up for 24 hours. I want him to be you know, like fully alert <laughs> when, when mm-hmm. he is giving me you know, medications and, you know, like doing whatever else needs doing. Right. So that that's, you know, also one of the ways in which. You know, unions are trying to fight against this overall kind of stripping of resources out of our spaces and the increase in workloads, as well as the decrease in salaries and taking all that productivity and sending it up the chain to, you know, people getting corporate bonuses and stockholders um, getting dividends. Yeah.
1: So I think this is a good... Time to pivot to the other half of the conversation that we were kind of talking about as we brainstormed this episode. So we've talked a lot about the manufactured state of austerity for the rich, but that we don't... The reality for the vast majority of Americans... And the vast majority of Nebraskans is incredibly different. Like suffering, <laughs> truly suffering. Um, we had an example. It wasn't in Nebraska, but we shared it on Seeing Red online. The a police department was bragging about... <laughs> I mean, every every company does this, right? Every group does this. They're like, "Oh, look what we've been working on," and they try to brag on social media. Like, but they had a picture of the this contraband, stolen contraband that they had recovered, and I'm pretty sure it was over a hundred
0: suspects. Yeah, they, broke they had tracked bunch, down a whole shoplifting ring. Yeah. Ring,
1: and they showed the picture of this twenty three thousand dollars worth of stuff. I don't condone stealing. That's not the point. $23,000 is a lot of money. But it ain't nothing compared to a trillion dollars of your own shares. And the reason I bring that up is because what they were stealing was diapers and Tylenol and NyQuil and food. This is this is not equal. This is like we're supposed to be all proud that this police department Spent all this time and energy tracking down diapers and medicine that was stolen out of desperation. Like, they're not going to make a bunch of money off of this. That's not
0: what's happening. Yeah, I and feel like somebody needs to, like, take that shot and just, you know, like, start playing, you know, the the soundtrack from Les Miserables, you know, behind <laughs> it, you know, in which you know, serve 50 years in jail for stealing a loaf of bread, right?
1: Yes! Thank you! That's a great analogy. But meanwhile, like, oh, nothing we can do about the fact that we can't we just can't tax Jeff Bezos. We just can't tax Microsoft. We just can't tax Warren Buffett more, even when he asked for it, like this is bananas and it's unacceptable. And so the reality is that a lot of people in this country and God, even, even my family, we're okay, but we're feeling it now that those like stimulus payments are gone for children and stuff. Like it's freaking expensive childcare. care. It's more than my it's getting better now, they're getting older, but more than more than your mortgage. Um and the desperation going on is palpable and yet even in Nebraska, our rich governor who probably hasn't ever had to make a choice on what to buy before his account overdrew or before he was hungry or before his windows leaked in his house or whatever the hell is refusing to accept the federal housing assistance. And the thing is, if we, if we don't accept it as a state, it just goes to other States. It doesn't disappear. It is, it is purely performative on his part to refuse it because then he can say, we don't need it. We're fine. Blah, blah, blah. And he can act like this. I don't know this guy who, uh, it doesn't spend unnecessarily. It's not his money anyway. It's not, Nebraska, you know, it's just Nebraskans. It belongs to all of us. It's our taxes. Um But instead what happens is it just goes to other states.
0: And so other people get that, you know, rental assistance. And meanwhile, you know, rents are going up like 40%. So when we have, you know, a more acute homeless crisis here, mm-hmm. then, you know, like we once again won't have the state support to help people you know to with housing and food um because uh you know well we'll have tax cuts right you know so that money will already be committed elsewhere um and so yeah the the level of kind of immiseration you know it, it is a choice that we are making, you know, or that our government representatives are making, and because it's a democracy, you know, like then we as a democracy are implicitly making that, it, you know, we are, we are choosing to create the levels of inequality and suffering that will eventually result in, uh, you know, both what we're already seeing kind of like, you know, massive, you uh, people drugging and drinking themselves to death right because that's kind of one of the ways that you handle um yes but still one of the ways that people handle the kind of you know suffering that they're faced with yeah Um, or you know like uh or people get angry right and they start kind of um, pushing back, they commit acts of petty thievery to say, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, I need this, you know, like, and so I'm just going to take it. And, mm-hmm. um, or they go out in the street protesting, or, you know, like, and all of that requires then somehow a police presence, right, to crush all of these doing people. And so, you mm-hmm. know, like, then, you know, so we have a choice between a kind of... But who's going after the corporate swindlers? Nobody. Yeah, well, literally nobody. I mean, like, even the IRS <gasps> has been defunded. And so, like, all, yeah. all it can do is go after very small potatoes, right? You know. Well, no and this is a deliberate strategy,
1: right? This isn't by accident. <laughs> the, the mega wealthy and the corporations, and they've been playing this long game for 40 plus years of chipping away at this and chipping away at that, chipping away at this and chipping away at that. And that's where we are.
0: Yeah. I love that. Uh, you know, there was that moment of total Frank honesty out of Warren Buffett. Right. You know, one of our own where he said like, this is this, you know, we are absolutely waging class warfare and, and my class is winning. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> like that is that absolutely that's, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> And
1: w- what does it matter to them they get all the money they could possibly dream of in this life and then what <laughs> that was why i was a little bit skeptical when you were like was there ever a time when the the money trickled up? i doubt it like i remember reading about carnegie and rockefeller i mean they did what yeah. they wanted they did their pet projects with their money they didn't want to give it to the government they
0: didn't want to give it to other people either <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think it's just the standards have changed, you know, like, yeah. what what level of, kind of, uh, what what level of squeeze, you know, like, how much blood you should get from the stone, right, you know, like, has... That might yeah, be that, fair. That has changed, I think. <laughs> the, and, the turnips, you know, the stones are dry. <laughs> yeah, they pretty um, dry.
1: Going along with that, I was reading this yesterday, and, it, you know, as an educator, it breaks my heart that... Those child tax credit payments I was talking about, um, since that ended at the end of December, that's two months, 3.7 million more kids in the richest country on the planet are in poverty. 3.7 million more children in poverty than two months ago when they were getting $500 a month. That's it. $500 is like you can get a little bit more maybe
0: depending on how many kids but as a country we're starting to kind of fall down all those charts you know like the ones Mm -hmm. that show like the prosperity of a country like you know mortality rates and child mortality rates and you know like um and uh you know, deaths and pregnancy and yeah. you know, things along these lines that we usually use to kind of register, you know, like the, the, the overall wealth of a country. Um, and we're starting to like, you know, head down into the region of countries that we would all consider like, no way, you know, we're, we're definitely not number one. We're not even in the top 10 in most of these anymore. And, you know, like, and, and we, we clearly just don't care about those particular markers or, you know, we haven't found a way to take our collective energy and say, this has got to stop, you know? And I do feel like one of the arguments that we need to push back on is, is about valuing the work that's done on all levels. You know, like like, I do feel like there should be like differentials in pay. Some people are better at their jobs, some jobs are more demanding than others. Mm -hmm. But but does it need to be quite that extreme? You know, like and and can't there be some like basic floors where we say, you know, if if you are working at all at any job then you ought to be able to afford these things and therefore you know wages ought to be tied to someone's ability to afford these things you know like mm-hmm. they ought to have a living wage and it ought to be tied to the ability to live well in the richest country of the world and not a minimum wage which is only tied to like you know the lowest amount that you can get away with paying somebody yes and so, you know, like, and that, and, and implicit behind that is this disrespect of work of you know of people that you know the the people that haul away my trash, right? You know, like, and in in that I you know pay for that pickup, like, okay, maybe that's not skilled work, you know, but it's actually fairly important work, which we would realize if it ever stopped happening, right? Yes, it's like you'd be like, actually, this is something we need in our society. I actually we recycle
1: so much that I don't ever fill the
0: trash can oh, I and know, I asked things. about like
1: can I get it picked up less often and they said no, no actually <laughs> it's a city ordinance because it breeds disease and I'm like well I'm really glad
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we have that same call we're like we have to pay for it every week but I do get a smaller volume day. discount or something I don't <laughs>
1: um but yeah it's it's all tied
0: together you know, but we tend to take that kind of work and say, like, "Well, you know those people can make minimum wages um and therefore, like maybe they're not actually able to they're the ones making the rent versus food versus medicine decision, right, especially if they they have kids and you know like and that they shouldn't be making that, you know people seem to think that somehow you know the poor deserve to be poor somehow. Um, And that that goes, and I I never really understand, like, why why is that, you know, like, outside of our prejudice or outside of our desire to filter money upwards, you know, like, that seems very much like a myth to me, you know, like, that is a way to justify taking money from everybody and giving it to a few people.
1: Well, and because it assumes that people just aren't willing to not be poor, to do the things to not be poor, and it ignores the systemic racism and the systemic limitations and the access. I was thinking recently, I'd had all these annoying things around the house, like this was just broken, and that just wasn't working, and then it would make the kids, it would cause a problem with the kids, or 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 with my phone um, because I'm always working and so then I don't get the text about my mother-in-law who we helps take care of because all of our social support systems suck. <laughs> yep. And so I, I ended up, I was telling Julia this earlier, but, you know, like we're a family with young kids and I'm an educator and I don't need to tell you what my husband does. But the point is <laughs> we don't make a ton of money. But we do okay because we're pretty humble and um, we just do our best. But some days you just have to throw money at a problem, man. And when you don't have any money, all you guys have problems. <laughs> like, you're, you know, the, we had to, the electricity bill was high. And so last year we spent some of that funds to get insulation blown in the house. That's a huge expense, but then, but um, we had some COVID money, and we had saved money because we weren't having to, in our white collar jobs, for some of the time we weren't having to go into work, and so then there wasn't the gas, and then there wasn't you know other expenses that go along with that, um, and just like last weekend, I spent like two hundred dollars at Best Buy on just stuff that you don't need to live but are not extravagant like a roku that works because ours was so old it wouldn't load even though we have decent internet we have good internet and so then there's fighting with the kids and who needs fighting with the kids and i'm just trying to make a meal at the cable because i don't want to pay to go out and because i <laughs> you know all of the things go together and, I, and my phone it's a it's a couple of years Years old. I wanted to hobble along. Well, it's got a crack. So I needed a new cover because I'm not buying a new phone. They're $1,200. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's a phone. How does anybody get by when you don't, it just your whole life is inconvenient when you don't have any money to throw at the problems
0: and you know, and then there's the, like, margin, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. where, you know, like, a single thing goes and that pushes yes. you over the edge because you're on such a a thin line of what you yes. have. So, like, so you're renting and, you know, like, because your landlord is, you know, like, doesn't put enough money into the maintenance of the building, yep. even though it charges, raises your rent all the time, you know, like, and, you know, it, something blows on the roof and, you mm-hmm. know, like your neighbor's bathroom comes through your house or you know mm-hmm. the roof leaks or something and it ruins you know like some major thing in your house you know like the landlord isn't going to fix that you know like he's not yep. going to he's not going to replace that for you um and you know so let's say that you're like all right I'm saving up money I'm going to be able to replace that thing um and then you've done that, but it took a little extra that you had in savings and then a piece of your car goes. And yep. if you can't repair the car, then can't you go to work. can't go to work. And if Not in Nebraska. Go to work, then you <laughs> lose, yeah, you know, like we don't have public transportation, so there's no backup here. Um, and, you know, then you lose the salary, you lose the salary, you lose your health care. And so, you know, like all of a sudden yep. you are, you know, like unable to pay your rent, you have no health care. And you have no transportation, like, it can happen, like, that fast, right, to yep. people. Um, and it, that's, you know, just picking, like, car part as the major problem. But, like, it could yep. be anything, you know, like, someone gets sick, you know. That's what I, I was like- going to
1: say. Even though we're doing fairly well, and, like, obviously some of my problems, like, a Roku, it's not a major problem. It's, <laughs> it's, not, like it's <laughs> not like a roof leak. It's not like your rent going up. But what I'm saying is I felt so relieved because I could remember times when that would have hurt a lot more and I would just be this festering frustration and anger and disappointment and, you know, all the other things, but I'm (laughs) damn near everyone. I know is one major medical crisis away from bankruptcy (laughs) (laughs) because of the costs that have gone up so much and insurance sucks so bad. And, you know, that's one of the other things
0: that like, and you can't control uh it. You have no control. That's one of the other things that European social democracies have really invested in that the U.S. has chosen not to invest in, which is the social safety net, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. and and there's a reason that they use that term, right? Because it has the psychological impact, right? That we can, if you think about it, it makes you really anxious that, like, yeah. you are, in fact, one big health disaster away from bankruptcy and homelessness and whatever, you know, like... Nope. That that can easily be the case for almost everybody here, and most bankruptcies in the U.S. I think are now medical, and so, you know, it's uh, it is a, a rampant problem in our society, and that doesn't exist there. So, like, if you knew that, like, that, you know, yeah, you might be poor um, and you might be struggling, but like, it's not that you know, if you happen to get breast cancer, your whole world falls apart. Um, or if you get hit by a car, then that's the end, you know, like then your children are not yeah. going to eat. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it is an enormous psychological relief to know that you are at least protected from disaster. It's like catastrophic insurance, you know, like, huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you pay in, you know, and they definitely pay higher taxes there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what they get in as a result is that kind of, you know, peace of mind, which frankly just makes for a chiller, happier kind of living right. experience.
1: Right. So actually that ties back to this book a little bit again. Um, it's again, very recent, just came out. And so he's, he's talking about, well, he didn't say it in these words, but, you know, America may export a lot of ideas and fast food and whatnot, but um, also American style capitalism and cuts to social security things have also been exported to a lot of these countries that traditionally didn't cut those type of things. And I think, don't quote me, but I think it was Sweden, where he was talking about how, because um, he talked about several countries in that part of Europe, but um, you know, with the, the refugee crisis that's been happening in the last several years, they're having this huge influx. And um, at the same time though, they have been cutting taxes for the rich and they have been having to cut like, he didn't really mention healthcare to my knowledge, but they've definitely cut like rent assistance and housing assistance. And they've cut um, care for the elderly in ways that are really hurting people. And now they bring in this, they don't bring in, but now there's an influx of refugees who also need help. And suddenly, you know, the government's like, we don't have any money. We can't do these things. And people are mad. And then they're blaming it on the immigrants who aren't the problem, it's the tax cuts from the rich are the reason they don't have the money they used to have to have the type of society that they're used to. Again, though, it's just, it was two generations ago here when this start started to cut and it's hitting more recently in some of these countries in Europe. And yeah, they're angry. And so they lash out that the only thing they know or at the current thing, and I think unfortunately i think it's human nature to lash out at otherness and it's
0: not making things any better it's i think it's also like you know equally human nature to be interested and fascinated by what's different and that's when we're not threatened by it and so if we're being constantly told that our fair like our, our our financial suffering is coming um because um you know these things that are foreign to us are also entering our home space you know in some way then yeah we're gonna hate those things right you know we're gonna be like you know these people are causing you know like uh, my family to suffer and so we are totally going to be anti-immigrant anti-refugee you know there's going to be a lot of anger directed that way but that is the wrong direction you know like and it's it's not a coincidence that we're being given this target right you know that we're being told no yeah. actually you know look over here punch in this direction yeah. um but it is you know like they're they're being they're our straw men right you know, like they yeah. are people who honestly you know are, are are partially being hit by some of the same problems that we are you know like um you know when like cafta and napta or whatever went through you know like a lot of Small farms in Mexico—they used to grow corn for local markets—got completely mm-hmm. flooded with cheap American agribusiness corn. Places so that you know are grown on bazillion-acre farms, like in Nebraska and elsewhere, mm-hmm. and you know they can afford to kind of sell that at very low rates, and they did that, and it totally kind of people lost their land and they lost their the farms that they'd had for generations, and then they're like, well, great, now we're poor, and they migrate into cities and slums grow huge and a lot of people are like, you know, you could go to the U.S. because they pay dollars up there and the exchange rate is such that, you know, even if you get minimum wage up here, that's a lot of money for your family down here. And so people say like, yeah, I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to go. So, I mean, like, it's not like, you know, we are... in in any way kind of separate from the refugee problems around the world, you know, that, you know, Europe doesn't bear some responsibility for um, the fact that there are a lot of poor desperate people on their shores um, Mm -hmm. or that we are getting tons of people who want to come to the United States to work. You know, like that's, it's not like it, one has to actually think about why those things occur and, take the actions of the people that are coming here seriously and ask why they're coming. Why are they leaving their homes and their families in order to do something dangerous um, where they may die uh, and work themselves um, very hard. You know, like I I don't think that would have been their top choice if they had others. Right. And so the question <laughs> right, you're, is, you're just well,
1: desperate. <laughs> you have to survive.
0: <laughs> But, you know, like they're an easy out, right? People can say, well, look, there's these people who shouldn't be here and they're the problem. Um, And therefore, you know, you should head out at them and I'll protect you from them. I'll have border walls and strong enforcement. And, you know, like Obama, I'll ship out more people than my predecessors, you know, or like Trump, I'll build a border wall or like Biden, I'm not going to stop the deportations, right? I I don't see anyone kind of, pushing back on that the way they should be and that's because the current you know economic environment benefits them and they don't want to change that but people are getting angrier and angrier and so we need some place to direct our anger it's easy
1: to do um only i have to say a small thing even though we could talk forever we'll have to wrap it up i suppose but um talk about how we don't we obviously bear some responsibility for what's happening in these other countries and can we also talk about taxes and how um, we just ended a 20-year war and Congress still approved the largest military budget ever. We're not even at war anymore. Why are we putting all of these tax dollars into the military when our bridges are falling apart and our
0: people are hungry? This is bananas. The money is there. You know, like the money is always there, right? The question is just, where is it distributed? And the decisions that we make about where to put that money says something about our values. I think the important thing to learn out of this, right, is that if we are so concerned about the loss of the commons, the loss of like our society and things we value collectively, that points to the fact that we need to take collective action, that, like we cannot you know like only be acting as individuals or valuing kind of individuals or you know individual um, modes of trying to solve this like it is just no single person is going to save us, and no single action we take is is going to be able to solve such a a major kind of economic problem that is so deeply embedded you know like what needs to happen is people need to literally come together to take collective action on things and you know I one of the the best ways to do this economically of course in the workplace is just to unionize because that mm-hmm. is you know the place where people who are not rich have leverage because yep. as with our like you know garbage example like if all the garbage collectors just said you know, we're just not going to do this for the next you know, week or two or three until everyone remembers that what we do is valuable and perhaps ought to be valued and valued financially. And that's what you're able to do if you organize in your union and everybody says, we're going to come together and take a risk in the short term to be able to pay off in the long term to remind everybody, to remind our employers that we're important too. And if they lose all of us at once, then the whole thing's going to come crashing down, and so that gives that gives you leverage. And certain sectors of society have more leverage than others, but you know, like just in general, if the trend towards unionizing can start making anything like a dent. Um, then we can start moving our way back to a greater amount of shared wealth like we had when the sector of public and private sector unions was greater in the United States before it kind of slowly got whittled down to the sad, sad little kind of tokens um, that exist today. Um, And that's something we have to relearn because we just lost it. We lost like a whole generation of understanding what it means to work together collectively and to take collective action and we've lost the sense of Mm -hmm. the power that we might have through that kind of collective action instead you know we've been so encouraged to think of our careers of ourselves of our Mm -hmm. families only in these little units you know like so that we've pretty much kind of at this point all internalized the Margaret Thatcher line right you know there is no society there are only there is only individuals and their families and (laughs) 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 So, you know, that points to the way back, right, is to say, you know, like, we need to stop thinking beyond just individuals and individual actions and beyond just us and our families and to say, all right, you know, look, what do we want as a society and how do we collectively get there? And that is going to require mending some of the crazy fences that (laughs) have been put up lately. And part of that, you know, like is recognizing that some of those fences are there in order to keep us from coming together and taking these kinds of collective actions, right? You know, so there are things that cross parties. You know, we're all pretty damn skeptical of elites, um, although Democrats tend to trust government a little bit more um, than Republicans. You know, I think there are places there that we can start building on. No one's happy about government surveillance, I think. So, hey, let's start there, right? You know, uh, there's all those kinds of kind of places where we could be building bridges and we could be thinking about, well, what, you know, what values do we share? Um, And, you know, certainly within workplaces, everyone shares like working conditions that they think need to be better. And that's an easy one. And that's where we, we really need to start. You said that so well, Julia. It was so perfect. It was
1: so perfect. And I I don't know. It's just something in me. I crave that that community in my bones. Like that commonness. Like, I don't even want to own a lawnmower. Why don't we just have one for the whole street? Like we don't we'll all mow totally at the same time. World. Like <laughs> in every aspect of my life. I just want that community. It, I don't know. Maybe we'll get there someday.
0: Julia. It's been great having you on. April, it was wonderful talking with you. Thank you for having me on the pod. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later. You've been
1: listening to Seeing Red Nebraska Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month <laughs> donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.